Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. Good morning. Good morning. If you have your Bibles open to John chapter 8, and while you're turning there, I want to tell you the results of my 23andMe test. Um, so a couple uh, yeah, months ago, I, I spat in a tube, mailed it to a stranger, and they're probably making clones of me. But uh, as I got my results back of my DNA test, I found out some, uh, some pretty interesting stuff. So I found out that I am 68% uh, Spanish and Portuguese, which makes total sense. But, uh, Spain and Portugal were the main countries to colonize uh, Central and South America, and me being Cuban... That lines up pretty well. I'm also 22.5% sub-Saharan African, which answers a big question because my, my grandma, my mom's side, is distinctly black. And, and she, she's in Cuba, we call it Afro-Cuban. And so realizing that I have a large part of my ancestry from Nigeria makes a ton of sense there. But the thing that surprised me the most is as I was looking at this, I realized I am 5% Chinese. I don't know how that happened, but I think that's pretty cool. I think that's pretty neat. So anyway, I say all that to say this. Uh, you know, everybody, when we take ancestry tests, we all know the real reason why we take these tests, right? You want to know if you're related to someone famous. Like, that's ultimately why anyone takes these tests, right? You want to know if there is royalty in your blood. And to answer that question, no, I'm not. Like, I know I look like The Rock, but I'm not related to him. You know what I'm saying? But I, I, love, I love talking to people who like to boast about how they're related to someone famous. They're related to some nobility or something. And it's like, cool, but so what? Right? Like, like, like I, what's the point of being related to the Queen of England if you ain't got Queen of England money? You know what I'm saying? Like, what's the point of being related to someone famous if you have nothing in your life to show for it? All this tells me is that somewhere in your line, someone was related to someone famous, and they ruined that relationship, and now you live in Wauwatosa, right? So, like, none of this is impressive, you know what I'm saying? So, so the point I am making is, and the point I think Jesus is going to make today in our text is that uh, your lineage and your ancestry is not as important as you think it is if there's nothing in your life to show for it, all right? So we're in John chapter 8, and where we left off last week is we were reading that Jesus was engaged in a, in a pretty heated conversation with some Jewish leaders. Jesus said that he is the light of the world, implying that those whom he's talking to were living in darkness. And the conversation from last week is going to roll over in today, and let's just say the conversation gets a bit spicier, all right? It's a little bit more tense, a little bit more awkward. Let's start in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So it says that Jesus was talking to those who had believed him. But if you've been keeping along in the book of John, one thing you notice is that there is a type of belief that a person can have that doesn't make them a true follower of Jesus. And, and I think Jesus knows this, and he's trying to distinguish between people who are simply fans of him versus true disciples, true followers of him. And I think the difference between a fan of Jesus and a disciple of Jesus comes down to if you abide in Jesus' word, 
right? So, so let me break that down. When we talk about Jesus' word, the word basically means in summation everything Jesus has said about who he is, what he's trying to do, and how he wants us to live. Everything that encompasses all that is what Jesus means by his word. And to abide in his word simply means to, to, to continue in, to persevere in that. So Jesus says that those who want to be his disciples must abide, must continue in his word. Everything who he said about who he is and what he's trying to accomplish in this world, okay? I, I love how John Piper describes this. And I, and I want to read, it's a longer quote, but I want to have it on the screen. And I want you to read this because I think it beautifully exemplifies what we mean by uh, 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 abiding in Jesus' word. Piper says this, Abide means not ceasing to be persuaded by its truth and never elevating any other truth above it. Abide means not ceasing to be attracted by its beauty and value and never seeing anything as more beautiful or more valuable or more attractive than the word and the Lord it reveals. Abide means not ceasing to rest in its grace and power, never turning away as though greater peace can be found anywhere else. Abide means never ceasing to eat and drink from the word as the bread of heaven and living water, as if life could be sustained anywhere else. And abide means never ceasing to walk in the light of the world as though as the, of the word as though any other light could show the secrets of life. In other words, to abide in Jesus' word means to hear, receive, and respond in obedience to all that Jesus has commanded us to do and to believe. And so before we go any further, I want to make sure this is abundantly clear. We are saved. Faith alone in Jesus is what saves us, but that faith that saves is never alone. A, a life in Christ will always produce the evidence of life change. And so, so one of the evidence of life change in the life of a believer is that we will abide in Jesus, uh, in Jesus' words. So your actions don't save you, but your actions should reflect that you are saved. You guys following me? All right. What Jesus is really drilling down here are his expectations for his followers. Fans are just admirers, but disciples of Jesus will abide in his word. And abiding to Jesus ultimately means obeying Jesus. To obey him is to love him. In a couple of weeks, we're going to read in John 14, Jesus is going to say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Implying that there is no way to love Jesus outside of obedience to Jesus. So, so your life will truly reflect what you believe. And if you abide in Jesus' word, you will be his disciple. Uh, but Jesus says something really interesting here that I think demands us to try to figure out more of what he's trying to say. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So that truth he's talking about is the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And, and this truth is something that his disciples, his followers will know deeply and believe. And Jesus is saying that when you abide in his word, uh, you will know the truth, you will know the gospel, and that truth, that gospel is something that will set you free. So as faithful Bible readers, we have to ask the question then, what are we being set free from? What is the thing that the Jews need to be set free from? Well, let's continue. Verse 33. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham 
and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? The Jews say something kind of ridiculous. They say that they have never been enslaved. But like the entire book of Exodus disagrees with them, right? Like, of course they've been enslaved. Like, have they forgotten about Egypt? Like, like the Jews have somehow convinced themselves that though they have been physically enslaved, they're saying that because their ancestry comes from Abraham, there is a type of freedom uh, that, 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 that means they've never been enslaved. That they spiritually have always been free people, even though they have been in bondage in Egypt and in other places. They're trying to impress that because of their ancestry points back to Abraham, that they've always been free. But Jesus responds in verse 34. Jesus answers them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And so if you're a note taker, I want you to write this down. Slave to sin or free in Christ. Slave to sin or free in Christ. Jesus is saying that if you are a sinner, you are a slave. Apart from Christ, if you sin, you are a slave to yourself and you are a slave to the enemy. You are a slave to sin. So let me quickly define sin so that way we're on the same page. The way I would define sin is this. Sin is your words, thoughts, and actions that reject God's will and rule in your life. I'll say that again. Sin are the words, thoughts, and actions that you have that reject God's will and reign and rule in your life. So our sin is so deceptive and wicked that it enslaves us and we don't even realize it. Like, like we are constantly giving our attention to it, whether we like it or not, whether we recognize it or not. And, and Jesus is saying that you are more about yourself, you are more influenced by your sin than you could ever imagine. It is affecting the way you live, think, talk, and act. And sin is so pervasive inside of all of us that we become slaves to our sin. So as I think about what slavery to sin looks like, I want to give you like kind of three practical things that are the effects of slavery to sin, which I think actually kind of like all interconnect with one another. And I want to kind of break that down for you real quick. So one of the effects of slavery to sin is that we tend to believe lies. We believe lies. So no one lies to you more than yourself. Like you should believe that. No one lies to you more than yourself. Like how many times have you said, I'm going to start working out tomorrow, knowing that's not true, right? Like you're like, you put your head to bed, like I'm going to work out tomorrow, knowing that you're going to sleep in, eat a fat breakfast, you're not working out, all right? But, but beyond that, our sin makes us lie to ourselves to make us think that we are more righteous and more holy than we really are. And our sin lies to us to make us believe that we are in more control of our lives than we really are. Like in all of our addictions, whether it's food, alcohol, porn, drugs, whatever, you were addicted to that way before you realized you were addicted to that. I mean, there are people right now in this room listening to my sermon who are addicted to something that they don't even realize it because they think they're more in control of their life than they really are. Like, like our sin lies to us and says that we are fine when we are not. That we are in control when we are not. This is the effect of slavery to sin. To be so blinded by your own sin that you believe the lies you tell yourself. And so slavery to sin makes you believe lies. The second thing is this. We normalize sin. So I understand that the culture normalizes sin. 
I don't care about that. That's to be expected. But you and I, we normalize sin. We have normalized sin when we want something more than we want Jesus. Like, like, instead of acknowledging conviction, instead of heeding the concerns and warnings of others, we determine in our hearts that, we, that this sin that we have is okay, and no matter what anyone else says, we want to hold on to this sin. Like, like we surround ourselves with people who co-sign and support our sin, and we cut off those who wish to try it, right? Like, like we rather live in echo chambers where everyone is okay with the sin that I do rather than listen to the people God is trying to send to us to free us from that sin that we're holding on to. Slavery to sin makes you normalize sin. And the third thing is this. After we believe our own lies and normalize our sin, we begin to attack the truth. When our sin or our idols are challenged, we instinctively want to defend it. So many people will say, oh, you know, because the Apostle Paul has like the most commands in the New Testament about how we should live, people will say, you don't have to listen to Paul. You don't have to read his epistles. Just focus on the words of Jesus as if Jesus doesn't have strong commands for us how to live. But even more so, we see nowadays that people will just wholeheartedly say, why do you even believe the Bible? It's an archaic text with old rules. Jesus, yeah, he, he was real. He was a good person. But the Bible as a whole, it's more optional than mandatory. And, and what we have done is we've taken God's word, a literal gift from God because he wants us to know him and to hear from him. And we reject it and push it away because, we, 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 because the scriptures rub against something that we want to keep, something we want to do. And so we reject and attack the truth. Slavery to sin makes you attack the truth. This is the deceptiveness of sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin, whether they realize it or not. And that slavery to sin will cause you to do things and accept things you may not even realize is wrong. But look at what Jesus says next. Verse 35. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. So Jesus is using this illustration of like a family in a house and, and slaves. And he's talking about how different they are. Like, like the slaves don't have the same rights as the family. The slaves don't have the inheritance that the family gets. The slaves don't even get to live in the house. But the son who belongs to the family gets to be in the house. And, and Jesus is saying that in his father's house, whom he is the son of, he gets to be in that house forever. And who he sets free is really free. And so when he sets us free from the slavery of sin, we are free to no longer believe the lies, to no longer normalize sin, to no longer attack the truth. You are free from the tyranny of sin, the slavery of sin, the life of sin, and we are free to be adopted children of God, loved by the Father, in the Father's house forever. Does that mean we're no longer going to be influenced by sin when we we become children of God? No, of course not. Sin is still real. Romans 6, Galatians 4, is Paul pleading with us to not go back to our slavery to sin, that we have been set free. And because we're so prone to wander, he's pleading with us, don't go back. Why would you go back to slavery when you've been set free? But the good news is that Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can fight the sin that seeks to enslave us. Listen, you're not alone. God gives us a helper in the Holy Spirit because he doesn't want us to be blinded or enslaved to sin. If you feel conviction of sin, listen, that's good news. 
Because that's God's love and grace in your life saying, I'm convicting you of this sin so you don't become a slave again. You know, uh, a couple of uh, this past week, we celebrated Juneteenth. As I watch the news, I'm like so confused why people are so upset about Juneteenth becoming a federal holiday. Like, it's a holiday where we celebrate that Americans are no longer enslaving people. Like, that's like some low-hanging fruit, okay? Like, like, we are celebrating that people don't own people. Let the banks close. Like, what, what's going on, right? It, but, but, but for the Christian, Juneteenth can also be seen as a parable. Like in the same way those Union soldiers who went to Galveston, Texas, to, 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 to tell those enslaved men and women that they are now free, we have a great emancipator in Jesus Christ who has set us free from the bondage and tyranny of sin so that we could be free people, free in Christ, adopted children in the Father's house who can live in the Father's house forever. We have been liberated from the tyranny of sin to be as free people in Jesus, and we have something to celebrate. Verse 37. I know that you are offering, you are offspring to Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Jesus is, is making a connection that, that their ancestry and their spiritual heritage isn't as important as they think it is, right? Jesus is saying, I know you think you belong to Abraham, and I know you think because of that you have a special relationship with God, but your actions reflect otherwise, namely because they want to kill him. And, and, and he is implying that if they were really of Abraham, they wouldn't be rejecting Jesus right now. Verse 39, they, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And so Jesus is saying that, that if you were of Abraham, you would follow Abraham's signature move. Obeying God, right? Ob listening to God. Obe like, like Abraham heard from God and he uprooted his entire life, brought his entire family to obey God's word, to go where God has called him to go. And he, he, uh, Abraham listened to the truth of God. And these people are looking at the embodiment of truth in Jesus Christ and they're trying to kill him. These Jews are saying, we're, we're pure bloods. Like we are descendants of Abraham. We are the real deal. And Jesus is saying, you ain't and you're not. Like, like, like if Abraham was your father, you would have something in your life to show for it. And so I want you to feel this tension. Like these folks are upset because Jesus is calling out the hypocrisy. Like, like Jesus is calling out for the fact that they say they are living one way, but their life is actually reflecting that they don't really believe what they say they are living out. And Jesus is checking them to show them that they are not the real ones. That they would be responding differently if they were the real ones. And so look at how they respond to Jesus. They said to him, we were not born of sexual morality. We have one father, even God. That line is wild. Like the Jews do not like where this conversation is going. 
So they respond to Jesus by insulting Jesus' mother. Let me explain. There was a controversy at that time, as you can imagine, over the birth of Jesus. And these Jews are like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're coming at our lineage? You're coming at our family line? And you want us to believe that you're, you were born from a virgin? And so, so they're saying that we don't really believe that your mother was conceived as a virgin, that she was actually sleeping around, and that's how you got born, Jesus. I mean, they're, they're implying that Mary was sexually immoral, and that's how she got pregnant to give birth to Jesus. This is blasphemy. Like, this is fighting words. Like, like Jesus ain't me. Because, bro, you come at my mom, the conversation's over. Like, we got to fight. Like, we got to. Like, there's no question about it. But praise God, Jesus ain't me. Because look what happens next. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I come from God and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he who sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Jesus says, if God is really your father, you would love me. Because the father is the one that sent him. So understand this truth. They don't disbelieve because they're blind. They are blind because they disbelieve. Right? They don't like what he is saying. They don't like the implications of his words. This is why they don't believe him. It's their stubbornness, their own slavery to sin that's rejecting the very thing that's trying to save them. In verse 44, Jesus says this, You are your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So here's my second point if you're taking notes. Child of God or child of the devil? Child of God or child of the devil? Jesus is being way more gracious than I would ever be in this conversation. But he's still being very, very blunt. He, he, he has been saying that their father is not Abraham because they're not acting like Abraham. But he keeps mentioning who their real father is. And who's their real father? Well, Jesus says their father is the devil because they keep acting like him. And, and so what I love is that Jesus gives three descriptions of who the devil is in this text. And they line up exactly to what the Jews are doing. He says that the, that the devil is a murderer from the beginning. And these Jews are trying to murder Jesus. The devil, Jesus says that the devil doesn't stand in the truth and these Jews are looking at the truth face to face and they are rejecting and pushing him away. The, Jesus says that the devil is a liar and these Jews are going to lie that ultimately leads to Jesus getting arrested and where he is murdered on the cross. Like father, like son. And Jesus is saying that your actions will reflect what you believe. But more importantly, your actions will reflect whom you belong to. Your actions will either reflect that you belong to God or you belong to the devil. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about Satan and demons. And, and, and I don't have a lot of time in my sermon to kind of go through a, a, an exhaustive history about that. I did write a blog post, if you're interested. If you go to satan.epicos.org. So it's, a weird, it's a weird domain that 
that I don't think Ryan liked to make, okay, but satan.epicus.org, if you go there, I have a bunch of podcasts, videos, and blogs that have really helped me kind of understand Satan and demons and all that stuff. I think it would be a, a good resource for you. But I think that when we talk about the devil and demons, we often regulate it to like satanic imagery, right? Pentagrams, gothic clothing, upside down crosses. But here's the thing. I don't think Satan's that dumb, right? Like I don't think Satan lives in Hot Topic. Like the only thing that lives in Hot Topic is incense because my eyes burn every time I go in there. It sucks. But, but here's the thing. I love how C.S. Lewis talks about the devil, all right? Let me read this quote to you. If, if devils exist, their first aim is to give you an anesthetic, to put you off your guard. Only if that fails do you become aware of them. The Bible talks about the devil being a prowling lion seeking to devour you. And Satan is a master manipulator and deceiver. We just read he is the father of lies. He is way more cunning and way more sophisticated than you when I give him credit. So Satan just wants you to be numb enough in your own life that you stop thinking about God and focus on yourself. Like he wants you to be so distracted and so self-focused because when you are distracted and self-focused, you don't think about God. Therefore, you don't give God any glory. And Satan's only goal in this world is for you to not give God any glory. But here's the thing. Satan and Jesus are not equals. Jesus always has and always will be victorious over Satan. And Jesus doesn't leave us in a mystery about whom we belong to. So let's read verse 45. Okay. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Jesus is so confident that he says, hey, where have I sinned? Call it out on me. And, and, and what Jesus is doing is he knows he's sinless. He knows this and he dares them to call him out because these, these Jews want to find something wrong with him. Over and over again, as we see in the Gospels, these interaction with these Jewish leaders and Jesus, these Jewish leaders are trying to pin him in the corner, trying to get a gotcha moment to show him that he is whack, that he's a false teacher, that he's a liar, that he's from the devil. They want to find something in him. But Jesus is like, call out my error. Call out my faults. Tell me where I'm sinning. And they can't because Jesus always wins because Jesus is perfect. He's sinless. And it is because Jesus is sinless that proves that these Jews are not really about Abraham. That they're not really about God. Because if he is sinless, then Jesus is telling the truth. And if he is telling the truth of who he is and they're still rejecting him, it is because they don't want the truth. The, the world, they, they would rather believe the lies of the devil than follow the truth of Jesus. And this is why this is important. Because when our sin rubs against the truth of Jesus, we hate it. Like, I, I want to make sure we get this. Everyone, everyone listening, everyone in here, put your hands up real with me, okay? Do it with me. When our sin rubs against the truth of Jesus, we hate it. We hate it. Like our sin wants us to remain in our sin. Our flesh wants us to remain in our flesh. The world wants us to remain in our world. And the devil is like, these are my children. The fact that, we, the fact that they can't call out sin in Jesus and still reject him is evidence that they don't belong to God, but rather they belong to the devil. Verse 47. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is because you are not of God. 
This is kind of like a summary statement of all the interactions Jesus has had in the Gospel of John. Those who hear God's word and obeys are a true follower of Jesus. Those who reject Jesus' word are not a follower of Jesus. They do not belong to God. So, so let me answer the big question in everyone's mind. I, I know Jesus is speaking, like there's only two options. This feels like Jesus is making like a, like a strong dichotomy, right? Like there's no nuance to Jesus is saying you're either one or the other. And I think that's true because it's true. You know what I'm saying? It's a tough pill to swallow. It's you want to know, am I a slave to sin or am I free in Christ? Am I a child of the devil or am I a child of God? Jesus answers that question in verse 31. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide in my word, you are truly free in Christ. If you abide in my word, you are truly a child of God. This passage is important because the Jews say they are followers of the Lord, but their lives don't match up with what they're saying. And I want you to feel this because I want you to consider where in your life does your life not reflect the words of Jesus? I want you to talk about this in your small group this week. How and why are there aspects in my life that when I'm confronted with what Jesus says, I end up doing the opposite? I end up rejecting that or feeling kind of callous towards that. Why is that and where is that? Because that answer is very important. I want to kind of talk about two big theological words that I think will help us understand everything that Jesus is saying. The two words are this, orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Orthodoxy means right thinking. Orthopraxy means right living. And so people often go to Orthodox churches to sit under Orthodox teaching so you can understand the scriptures in an Orthodox way. But, but there is a lot of people who have good Orthodoxy. They have right thinking, but they don't have good Orthopraxy. They don't have right living. And so, so their, their head knowledge doesn't get to their heart and it doesn't reflect in their lives. And this is the most dangerous place you can be. To know all the answers, to have the truth, but not willing to submit your life to that truth is the scariest place you can be. Because like the Jews in John 8, they've numbed themselves. They think, I'm good. Like, I'm all right. Like, like I grew up in church my parents are Christians. My dad was a deacon. My mom was on the uh, Sunday school class. Like, like, I know all the answers. I'm good. But their life doesn't reflect. And Jesus is saying, your life is the evidence of what you believe. This is what James 2 is all about. Faith without works is dead. So ultimately, what I'm trying to encourage us to understand is this. Good orthodoxy should always lead to good orthopraxy. Good orthodoxy should always lead to good orthopraxy. Right thinking must lead to right living. What we believe impacts how we live, and what we do reveals what we believe. Let me explain it like this. I'm a big guy, so I have a lot of opinion on chairs, okay? If we go to Walmart, we go to Target, I'll tell you, that's a good chair. I'm questioning the, the integrity of that one, right? Like, like, I have a lot of opinions about it. So if I were to sit here today and I say, hey, guys, I believe this stool can hold my weight. You should be like, cool, sit on it. I'd be like, all right, but let me just tell you that I have meditated deeply about sitting on this chair. I've thought about it, I've prayed about it, I've reflected on it, and I really believe I can sit in this chair. You should be like, okay, sit on the stool, Frank. And I could be like, but you know what? I know the Greek word for sitting on stool. It's impressive, right? And, and you'd be like, Frank, just sit on it. And here's the reality. 
what I believe doesn't matter until I actually do it. And so there is more evidence of what I believe and what I think about by me actually sitting in this chair than me just telling you that I believe this chair can hold my weight. What I mean by this is this, good orthodoxy should always lead to good orthopraxy. So, so how do we go from understanding correctly and right thinking to actually having right living? How do we go from A to B? And the answer will always be the beginning and end is Jesus. If, if you are a believer today, don't stop abiding in Jesus' word. There, there is never a time you stop growing in your faith. Continue to repent of your sin. Continue to make the word of Christ the standard in how you live and see the world. All the while being completely dependent upon the grace, power, and mercy of the Holy Spirit given to you in Jesus. Abide in the word of Jesus. If you have those Gospel of John study guides on page 200, there's a bunch of spiritual practices that I would encourage you to do one of two of them every single week. Because the, the more we look at the spiritual practices in our life, the more we are conforming in our hearts a life that abides in the word of Jesus. Abide in the word of Jesus. But let's say today you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus. You realize that you have wholeheartedly based your entire salvation, your entire faith on your lineage, your spiritual ancestry, on your parents' faith and not your own. You realize that my life doesn't truly reflect what I say I believe. Or maybe even you've never believed. And today for the first time, it clicks. You're like, I don't want to be a slave to sin. I definitely don't want to be a child of the devil. I want to become a child of God. And it begins and ends with Jesus. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The, the orthodoxy, orthopraxy part comes after salvation. Putting your faith and trust in Jesus, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried and rose again three days later. And on that cross, he took your sin and gives you his righteousness. That is what saves you. The right living, the right thinking, that comes after salvation. So turn to Jesus and you will be saved. You will be set free from the slavery of sin and you can be a child of God. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I confess that there are times in my life, though that you've set me free from this slavery of sin, my flesh wants to run back to it. I want to put myself back in chains, back in bondage, back into the way I used to be. But Lord, I praise you because you have sent me the Holy Spirit. You have sent us the Holy Spirit to convict us, to teach us, to guide us so that we can never go back to slavery again. I pray, Lord, that we heed those convictions. When you send us people to check us in our lives about our blind spots, that we listen and we obey. Because, Lord, you've said that, that when we abide in your word, when we stay and continue in your word, we are truly your disciples. I pray for everyone today, Lord, that we can be set free from that bondage of sin, that we can go from children of the devil to be adopted children of the Father so that we can remain in your house forever. We love you and we praise you. Son's name I pray. Amen.